0: I'm speaking to Rachel Hyman. Rachel moved to Chicago to attend the University of Chicago and has continued to live in Chicago after graduation. She is the founder of Anthology of Chicago, a project that has collected poetry, fiction, and nonfiction about Chicago neighborhoods. Rachel has also hosted a reading series called Welcome to the Neighborhood in collaboration with Paul Daling, the creator of 1001 Chicago Afternoons. Her latest venture is Bits of Press, the publisher of a series of zines currently focused on people's experiences using social media. So I'd like to start out by talking about your background. Where did you grow up?
1: So I was born in Chicago, born but not raised. I was born in Hyde Park. mostly grew up Outside of Baltimore, actually, my parents moved around a bit and they're back there now, but spent most of my childhood in Baltimore and then four years in Champaign, Illinois. Not college like most people, but high school. So I'm bounced around a bit, but kind of Midwest, East Coast.
0: What was your experience of growing up like in Baltimore?
1: Yeah, great question. I'd say it was pretty idyllic in some ways maybe like close to like a typical suburban existence so I guess it feels a little different because when I think suburbs I think like suburbs have such bad associations for a lot of people or they're boring or they're skate or something like that but yeah I mean my house was like on a cul-de-sac we knew all our neighbors we kind of were in a community there so yeah I think when I was growing up in this area, like I was somewhat aware of my surroundings and other people and that kind of thing. But it was also like uneventful in like the best way, I guess, like uneventful in the way that it creates a lucky childhood, I guess, in some ways.
0: How would you say that experience has then shaped you going
1: forward? So one thing that was kind of interesting, actually, just moving around a couple times was the big move was when I was about like 13 or 14 from Baltimore to Champaign. And I was just kind of, like I said, curious about my surroundings. And I noticed like, oh, like we grew up in this like strong Jewish community in Baltimore. And it was kind of a given that you knew people who were religious or who celebrated the high holidays or stuff like that. And just like culturally, I would say that area on the East Coast felt different <laughs> from the Midwest, where like I was one of a few Jewish people in my class. So I think right around then, like right around that move was when I started just kind of, you know, maybe having some more curiosity about the world around me and the community and the place I was living. And I'd say like high school, high school and college actually were sort of fundamental times in like opening up my worldview and just kind of stoking that curiosity about the places I was living in and my experience and other people's experience of those places.
0: And what eventually brought you to Chicago?
1: so i came i guess back to chicago for college i went to university of chicago so kind of um round trip back to hyde park and yeah i have a big like family connection to the university my parents went there my brother went there and so and so ways, like i felt like oh i was like destined to go to this place but i went there because i wanted to go there it would be hard to imagine being anywhere else or going anywhere else
0: what was your perception of chicago coming back as an adult
1: Yeah, great question. So Hyde Park is such a weird place. So people talk about it as a bubble or as an island. And I think that those are accurate in many ways. And I think that kind of reflects how people or students maybe, in particular, feel about their time in Hyde Park or their time in Chicago. So I just remember like right off the bat orientation week, very first week there, like being warned like, oh, don't walk to the green line. Like even though it's like the one L line that's close enough to Hyde Park to walk to, it's like you have to like be aware. Like anywhere south of 60th is not safe. So there was already this kind of keen awareness, I think, that was like being imparted upon me about the city and the neighborhoods and the neighborhoods that were fun to go to and interesting to go to, which were like largely places on the north side, like off probably the red line. Like we would i take these occasional train trips to like Lakeview, but we called it Belmont because the stop was like synonymous with the area for us. And so I think like on the one hand, there was very much an awareness of like, you know, Hyde Park has this really checkered past and the university in particular with like their role in urban renewal and the way that they're still expanding out their footprint and the way they've treated like the neighbors and the community people. On the one hand, there was awareness of that, but there was also like, well, why would you want to leave? Like everything that you could possibly want is like here within the like walls of the campus.
0: When did you become aware sort of of the history with Hyde Park and all of that troubled past with the university?
1: So I think a lot of it was kind of maybe my second, third years there. I started college as a linguistics major and then kind of within a year determined I didn't really want to keep pursuing that. So I spent the next like year to two exploring different majors, taking different classes. And a lot of those classes were in geography, which is what I ended up getting my degree in or sociology or public policy. And so a lot of them were kind of focused on like understanding the city and we would learn about like the Chicago school and their like role in kind of shaping this field of sociology, I think it was. And yeah, I think it was kind of this like weird sort of circular process where I was becoming more curious about the city and its neighborhoods, and I was learning about these things more as I was taking classes. And so it kind of like led to this like virtuous feedback cycle where I was studying the things that I was curious about, and I was curious about them because I was studying them. So some sort of it was like self-led, I guess I would say, like not just through classes, but also just kind of being aware of protests that were going on around like the university not having a trauma center and just like kind of some like situational awareness of what was going on beyond just like the walls of the university but within like Hyde Park as a whole.
0: And how did that growing awareness play into your decision to then decide to stay in Chicago after college?
1: I think that in some ways then and now still I felt this like investment in the place I was living. And that's something that's, I guess, been kind of constant for me as I like move through adolescence and adulthood. I think I care about the place I'm living and I care about, without trying to sound too naive about it, but like care about things like equity and justice and making sure people have access to resources. And so, you know, it's so interesting, like a lot of people I went to school with, like, Some of them might have been from around Chicago or the Midwest, but most of the people at this point feels like they've moved on. They don't live in Chicago anymore. Some of them don't live in the United States anymore. And I think I just felt this like connection and curiosity really about the city and just feeling like there's so much here. Like there's not an infinite number of neighborhoods, but this place is so alive and so changing. And it feels like home to me like then and now in a way that most other places do not.
0: Is there anything you can sort of think about that really helps to foster that sense of home?
1: Yeah, definitely. So part of it, and I've been thinking about this a lot in the wake of the pandemic, is a lot of people have kind of like sort of stayed at home more, or just like been less out in the world. I think a lot of it is just kind of a curiosity and maybe an empathy about the other people who are, in your neighborhood and who you might run across like I guess one example would be there's this guy who sits outside the post office in my neighborhood in Lincoln Park and he's always like opening the door for people and like letting them know if like the post office closed early and I compare that to like Hyde Park where at this point there's like private security guards on like many corners around the campus And like do you really see like homeless people in Hyde Park well I guess like maybe around the like outer edges but like certainly not on campus you just don't see that. And I think like for whatever reason, like maybe because I see him every time I go there and I worry about him. I worry when I didn't see him for a while in the winter. And then when he was back, I felt relieved that he was like there and was okay. So I think part of it is just caring about things and people in the world that's like outside of your sort of narrow band. Like another example, I remember I met somebody back like around college times and he was living in Logan Square, which could be a whole conversation. And he said, I don't really like to go east of Western or south of Armitage or something like that. He was kind of just saying he likes to stay in his neighborhood. And that's just really stuck with me. Like, it's such a narrow perspective. People jumped to all kinds of conclusions when... You say where you're living because it's like, oh, you live in such and such neighborhood. You must care about such and such things. And I'm interested, I guess, in how places are shorthand for like people's values and priorities, but also how like things go so much deeper than that. And in some ways, like, yeah, it's a privilege to like have your choice of where to live or to like pick a neighborhood and like be able to afford living in a particular neighborhood or whatever so yeah I think to circle back around to your original question which I think was about like how to sort of form that connection I think with like the place you're living in part of it is just getting out there and like having the curiosity and having a spirit of exploration and like not letting fear or assumptions overtake you because like when I lean into those things like the fear or the assumptions I find like oh, like maybe I don't want to leave my house or like go in a particular area or something like that. It's kind of like learning to balance like those fears with like genuine curiosity, I guess.
0: And I think what you were talking about, the gentleman outside of the post office, it kind of brings home that fact too, that when you build connections with people, that starts to break down a lot of those assumptions.
1: Yeah, that's a really great point. Like when I think about like Hyde Park and just how segregated, I guess would be a good word for what that neighborhood is within itself and compared to surrounding neighborhoods and like I was saying from day one they were sort of enforcing that feeling of like be afraid of the like areas around you and these areas are not safe and that's not to say like there's not a grain of truth that like some places probably aren't safe for a 18 year old college student to be walking around at night but I think that like kind of trying to move through that fear and those assumptions and just like really be face-to-face with the people around you and like, treat them like people, treat them how you would want somebody to treat you, especially if you were in a hard situation. Like It sounds so silly and so naive and like, oh, golden rule and all that. But I really think there's something there about not just like limiting your perspective to your own narrow circle.
0: When did it really become a realization on your part too, how people don't have those choices necessarily and how you're really privileged to have those choices?
1: So I think part of it was there was kind of this developing conversation over the last like decade or so I would say about being aware of your privilege and things you can do to like help if you have resources. How do you help spread those resources? So part of it I think was cultural but then I think part of it also just kind of came through like lived experience if that makes sense and just generally being a reflective person and thinking about, like, what it meant to be in this, like, very much ivory tower in Hyde Park, surrounded by, like, neighborhoods that were not like that. An example would be when I was in my senior year in college, my apartment in Hyde Park got broken into, my laptop got stolen, some other stuff got stolen, and I thought about that a lot then and now. It was like, yeah, this was really not great, but, like, I wasn't upset in some ways. I wasn't mad at the people who did it because I sort of understood, like, why do people steal things and sell stolen things? It's probably, like, for need of money. So I think just, like, kind of being reflective about my experience in Hyde Park and at U Chicago, and also making an effort to get out of my neighborhood, like, that was something that I didn't necessarily see a lot, at least at the time. People stayed on campus or they stayed in Hyde Park, partially because, like, Hyde Park is kind of far from where people might want to live on the north side or the northwest side so it was very rare that any undergrad would be living outside of Hyde Park so I lived in Hyde Park but I tried to leave the neighborhood and I think like just getting that exposure to parts of the city that were not this very particular slice of like academic life and like controlled like Hyde Park life I think helped with like yeah what you're talking about
0: What was the genesis of your project Anthropology of Chicago that focused on telling the stories of Chicago neighborhoods and residents in those neighborhoods?
1: So that project it felt like a confluence of a lot of things for me so previously I had started a like online literary journal where me and the co-editor we were publishing stories poetry sometimes like creative nonfiction, just general not under any particular theme or umbrella so I'd had some experience with like starting my own online project and publishing other people's work and that kind of thing and I think that this project really came from like a curiosity that I had about other people's experience of the same city we were living in because I knew like there's no chance like I'm necessarily going to get to live a thousand lives and experience like all of these neighborhoods in all these different ways that other people have but I think in some ways I wanted to like create a platform for people to think about and talk about and write about city neighborhood focused things. So some things are kind of like more focused I guess on like particular neighborhood than others. Some are really about like oh how has this neighborhood changed. Some just happen to take place in a certain Chicago neighborhood but I think I really wanted to just kind of surface like selfishly have my own curiosity what it was like for other people to be in this place and have a different experience.
0: What were some of the things that really stood out from the stories that you received from people?
1: I think one thing that surprised me was like receiving like stories and poetry from neighborhoods that I wasn't super familiar with because like some Chicago neighborhoods they're more residential maybe like you wouldn't tend to visit them as a local or as a tourist so I was really happy that I got pieces about places that I just had never been before because in some sense there's like a confirmation bias at work here or something where like somebody sends you something and it's like, oh yeah, you hit that neighborhood on the nose. Of course I'm gonna publish this. Like there's a parody piece about Logan Square that I think is great. I still love that piece, but I also really appreciate that I got pieces from like just different parts of the city. At one point I put out like a little print publication with a selection of pieces and I created a map that just showed like which neighborhood each of the pieces pertained to and it was really important to me in that publication and on the website as well to just like make sure it wasn't all the same selection of three neighborhoods I really wanted to get a wide range of pieces
0: and you went on to do a project also called 1001 Chicago Afternoons that was based in a 1920s newspaper column by Ben Hecht from the Chicago Daily News what was the inspiration for that project
1: point on that, that was Paul hall project hall started a thousand one chicago afternoons i collaborated with paul on a reading series called welcome to the neighborhood that was in some ways like a live storytelling <laughs> version of my project which is a anthology of chicago and his project which is a thousand one chicago afternoons but i think we really kind of like joined forces because it felt like we had almost the same curiosity about the city and about like surfacing stories of the city we just kind of had different angles so Paul wrote like literally at 1001 little pieces about areas of Chicago and just his experience like meeting people in Chicago and like going to new neighborhoods and stuff like that and then for me it was kind of largely like publishing other people's work but it felt like yeah we both had just kind of this insatiable interest in what was under the surface for other people in the city.
0: One of the things that I've realized living in Chicago is that our focus on neighborhoods gives us both, I think, some strengths as a city, and it also contributes to some weaknesses. What are some of the ways in which you think our neighborhood-centric view of Chicago is kind of something that both helps us and hinders us?
1: Yeah, I love that question. So I think that it helps us because it's a more granular unit of understanding, and it helps us like kind of make sense of and find identity in a place that has several million people, and that can feel really lonely and overwhelming at times. It's not New York, it's not LA, but <laughs> it is Chicago. It's a big, big city. So I think like people find identity when they think about their neighborhood. They find pride. They might connect with their neighbors over the shared space. I think where it kind of can flip the other way is, so there's a couple different things. So one is like this kind of shorthand I was talking about where people think, oh, you live in X neighborhood, so you care about X, Y, Z. And it's just kind of reductive. Like that's the thing I've noticed is when people sometimes identify you with your neighborhood in a way that like doesn't allow you to be a full person. It's just like, oh, you live in Logan Square, so you're a hipster, whatever. Like just lazy kind of shorthand like that. I think that also I probably spend too much time on Nextdoor, that like neighborhood app, which is just not really the best place for anyone to be spending time. But sometimes people are protective of their neighborhoods. They're like opinionated about their neighborhood in a way that feels harmful or that I guess I don't agree with. So like we'll talk about bike lanes or bicyclists, like that's always a hot topic there. Or people will post footage from their like ring cameras and talk about like oh like somebody walked by that looks suspicious like on what basis like we all know you're not saying it but like I think that the strength is kind of the weakness is maybe what I'm getting at with the neighborhood way of understanding things like it's both a point of identity and a point of pride but can also be used as a tool of exclusion or a way to make stipulations about who doesn't seem to belong in this neighborhood
0: One of the ways I've seen that play out is really in fights over local control of zoning, particularly around the provision of affordable housing in neighborhoods that haven't necessarily traditionally had a lot of affordable housing.
1: Yeah, I think about that a lot, actually. So they're building like a bunch of senior housing down the street where I live and sort of kind of just went up really fast. I wasn't really sure if there was like a debate over it. My thesis in college was about gentrification in Tulsa, which like has been there for a while and is still kind of a hot topic now. And there's been kind of efforts to build more affordable housing, but there's like set-asides where developers will set aside a certain percentage. And it's tough. I mean, like affordable housing, there probably wasn't enough 10 years ago or whatever when I was writing that thesis and like it's certainly gotten worse now like people will own a house and suddenly they like have really certain ideas about like property values and their own property values and what will raise it and what will lower it and it's kind of sad like I own a condo so like I guess I understand where people are coming from but also like the housing crisis I think about this a lot when I just like think about and see like what's going on in Chicago like crime wise and In some ways, it's a complicated problem, but in other ways, like, it's not actually that complicated. We were talking earlier about feeling invested in your city and your community, and it feels like maybe as you get older, like, somehow, like, you sort of lose your empathy or you lose your, like, youthful idealism or something, and you just get really vicious on next door or something like that. And I'm kind of hearing myself talk, and I'm like, well, I know it probably sounds naive, like, That I'm talking about these things around feeling connected and caring about your neighbors and that kind of thing. But also, like, I hope I don't lose that because, like, that's kind of like the important thing at the end of the day. You can care about yourself and your family, but you should also care about the other people in the place you live. Like, that's kind of how I feel.
0: Right. I think a lot of what you're describing with that tension between sort of caring about yourself versus caring about others is really kind of a microcosm of what we're experiencing as a country right now, it feels like.
1: Yeah, gosh, that's such a great point. Like the pandemic brought a lot of this stuff to the forefront and about how like, your choices might affect other people and their health. And it's hard to make decisions when you don't have a really clear picture of like, what could happen or your own risk compared to other people's risks. So I think it's something a lot of people are working through. And I really hope that we end up in a better place. But I guess only time will tell.
0: In closing, are there any projects that you have coming up that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, thank you for asking. So kind of continuing with the theme of publishing and publishing projects, I have gotten really interested the last few years in zines. So I'm not sure if something that your listeners are familiar with, but just as a quick summary, zines are kind of short, self-published pamphlets about anything you could possibly think of. So I put together a collaborative one about social media and people's different experiences on social media apps. So I put all those out under like a little project called Bitsa Press. That's B-I-T-Z-A Press. So the website is just bitsapress.com. Instagram handle is Bitsa Press. So I'm always looking for collaborators or contributors, that kind of thing. So if people are interested in self-publishing or zines or any of that, please reach out. I would love to talk about this. And yeah, I think that is all I have. Thank you so much for your time and for interviewing me.
0: Thank you, too. It's been a pleasure.